Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, May 6th, 2017. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Tonight, Melissa and I are holed up in a motel room in Slidell, Louisiana. Tomorrow, we hope to be in New Orleans to help support some of the League of the South friends of ours and the Battle of New Orleans friends of ours in, um, in, in their demonstrations in defense of some of the Confederate monuments, which the current political apparatus here is trying to erase from history. Just as the Bolshevik said, when you remove a, when you can eradicate a nation's history, you can enslave the nation and, and impose a tyranny, and that's exactly what they're doing to us. They're undermining and subverting our nation by slowly eradicating our history a piece at a time. This program was supposed to be pre-recorded. We've had a host of challenges this week. We tried to pre-record it Thursday, and that went down in flames. We tried to pre-record it Saturday, and that didn't work, even though we were 15 minutes into it. So here we are live. Tonight we have Donald Fox with us for the first time since last June, when we did a four-part series, which we entitled beginning and ends. And here we are going to have a discussion which continues where we left off the last time we heard from Donald Fox. Hello, Don. Hello, Bill. Uh, it's great to be back. And, uh, you know, finally, this this is the best I've heard you all week. So the sound is coming in uh, really good this time for a change. So uh, ho- hopefully we can give everyone a show here that... Uh, They'll uh, learn something from. I don't, I don't know what made me flee Panama City. The technical problems or really wanting to help out these people in New Orleans. <laughs> I don't know which one it is, but it sounded like a good combination. So here I am. Well, good. I'm glad you made it there. And, uh, you know, as you alluded to, uh, yeah, this is kind of an update from our uh, beginnings and end series last year. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking about it. Um, you know, it's been a year now, you know. Uh, some things have changed, so maybe we can take a look at you know the the last year here and kind of see where things are at. Um, uh, so we're, this shows kind of a progress report, I guess. You know how close are we? You know, it, neither one of us are going to sit here and predict a day and date when when Christ is returning. But you know, I, I guess the way the way to look at you know the Book of Revelation, um, you know, in, in your historical interpretation of it is, you know, certain things are going to happen you know, before he returns. So how much has been done, you know, what's left, you know, exactly kind of where are we, you know, you know, and the, and the goal here isn't to, uh, you know, fear monger or, you know, scare the crap out of everybody. And, you know, at the same time, we're not going to blow smoke up your butt either and say, Hey, you're going to get, uh, raptured out of here and you're not going to have to go through any, any tribulation or trials. Um, we're going to just try to, uh, you know, give people our best, effort on, you know, where things are at. Um, so, yeah, you know, the goal isn't to read scripture and attempt to predict the future. It's it's kind of to see, you know, God's plan, you know, unfold. You know, neither one of us are prophets, um, but, you know, we're, we're just analyzing the data. Um, and, and, and when you do that, you can see that, like you said, God's word is true. So, 
Um, you know, since last summer now, the the Trump, you know, is unlikely candidacy, and then eventually he did get elected. Um, so I guess we'll, we'll might as well touch on him a bit. Um, is Trump a savior, uh, a pariah, or something in between? Um, yeah, well. And even if he is a great guy, is he going to be able to get any of his agenda through the, you know, a hostile legislative and uh, judicial branches of, of the government? Um, to, to I guess the way I look at Trump is, you know, I don't view him as a, a messianic figure, but rather somebody who is in better position to, you know, carry out God's will than Hillary or Jeb. Well, well to me, Trump is a pariah. He may sound like a well-meaning pariah, but he's a big businessman. He's been in bed with the Jews all his life. His father and grandfather were in bed with Jews. Um, in their business dealings. A lot of people suspect or claim that Trump is a Jew. I, I don't know about that. I'm not even going to go there. But his, um, he, he had a grandfather or a father, Fred Trump, actually make a large donation of land for a synagogue in Brooklyn back in the 50s. And, and that's well recorded in, in, in periodicals of the, of the era. So he's been in these business relationships with Jews, him and his family, spanning many generations. Of course, you don't do business today unless you do business with Jews. We understand that, and, and that's the other side of the coin. So I wouldn't accuse him of being a Jew, but he is a Jew between the ears in, in most respects. Now, now, he really said a lot of things that appealed to nationalists during the election campaign. But he said in the 70, late 70s or the early 80s, I forget which, he said that if he ever ran for president, even though he was a liberal, he said out of his own mouth that if he ever ran for president, he would run as a conservative. He said that, and, and people forget that. And, and these alt-writers threw their weight behind Trump. Why? Well, well, the other choices, Jeb Bush, Ted Cruz, Hillary Clinton, okay, let's go with the unknown. Oh, okay, I could understand that, right? So let's support Trump for ha-has. Let's support Trump just for giggles. And, and that's cool, but these people actually put an awful lot of faith in stocking Trump. He, he was the new Reagan. He was the new emperor. He was going to bring back the... the, the um, the, the American dream. And, and of course he's not going to do these things because he's working ultimately, even though he's wealthy and independently wealthy. No man is independently wealthy. He's independently wealthy because the, the Jewish international banks and, and the, 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 invest, the, the large banking, international banking investment firms have allowed him for some reason to be independently wealthy. He's not independently wealthy. He could go bust tomorrow. They could call loans and force him to go bust tomorrow. He's as much as a slave to the economic system as the average American is. He's just a lot higher up on the rung. That's, he's no different than the rest of us. He's a whore for the Jews, just like anybody that has to go out and, and, and earn a living in corporate America, even though he's a lot higher up in the food chain. So Donald Trump, I, I've been beating my chest a little bit. 
because I, I said uh, over a year ago, well over a year ago, probably a year and a half ago, that Donald Trump existed to make white nationalists look stupid. And, and then I, I've said that several times in several podcasts. It's been published on Christogenia for 14, 16, 18 months. And I qualified it as soon as Trump got elected that he existed to make white nationalists look stupid if they put their hope in a man. Because he's only going to be allowed to to um, quell the progressive agenda as much as they want him to quell the progressive agenda. And he's not going to stop it, but I believe Donald Trump is in a lot of ways, in that respect, a safety valve for the establishment. So that they could continue to loot and pillage America while people fall back into a state of complacency. Because that's what's going to happen. That's what happened with Ronald Reagan. His rhetoric was a safety valve in, in the um, in, in the doldrums of the Jimmy Carter years. Ronald Reagan was the great white hope. He was going to make America great again, just in different terms. And, and all, all he did was open our borders, send all our manufacturing to China, and, and greatly magnify the, the, um, the imperialist army that keeps the world safe for Jewry. The, the imperialist armed forces that keep the world safe for Jewry. That, that's what he did. He, he enabled the, the international Jewish crime ring that runs America to secure their grip over the world a lot more securely because they're in competition with, with other Jewish crime rings. That's my opinion on Donald Trump. Okay, I guess the, the way I look at it is, um, you know, I'm not disappointed by anything he's done. Uh, my view on it has always been anything positive at all we get from the political system needs to be looked at as a bonus, okay? So, you know, the default position from the political system is is you're going to get screwed, okay? So in this case now, I believe actually that the wall is going to be built, um, you know, not because Trump wants to build it, but I think I think this is this is God's will, and none of the other candidates were even talking about building a wall. It was more open borders. Um, you know, if Hillary or Jeb would have gotten in there, that the flood would have continued. Um, since Trump's taken office, um, illegal illegal border crossings are down sixty percent. Um, you know, Mexicans are are you know the the illegal. Immigrants that are here are, are starting to feel the pinch a little bit anyway. Before it was just come on in and, uh, you know, sign up for all the free benefits and health care that you wanted. Um, it was just a, a pillage and a rape. Um, at least now they have to think about it a little bit. It's slowing down somewhat. So I don't see Trump as a be-all, end-all, but rather it's the start of a process. I, I um, think the real wall that, that, that he's helping to build, right? But whether the wall gets built on, on, on the Mexican border or not is basically immaterial. That there are already probably 100 million or 150 million non-whites in America. Already. And, and most of them are quote-unquote legal or, or to at least to have been here so long nobody can tell the difference. The, the wall that's really being built with Trump, what he's really done for us, I think, I think, is um, start to 
awaken more white people to the fact that there's a problem with the left and polarize whites from these Mexicans and, and these leftist Marxist Antifa communist pinkos, he's starting, we see in Trump a polarization of the nation, that that's a spiritual wall, and, and that's much more important than a physical wall, and, and that's where Trump has helped us more than a Hillary or a Jeb Bush or a Ted Cruz would have helped us. Okay, so I guess the first thing Trump did, you know, before he even took office was uh, the controlled demolition of the Republican Party. Um, it went down, uh, you know, the, the establishment candidates like Jeb Bush and Ted Cruz, they went down faster than Building 7 did on 9-11. You know, it collapsed at six and a half seconds, you know, which was free fall speed in a vacuum for a 47-story building. Um, in, in the past, the Republican Party always had this free ride of, uh, it was a party that was seen as being pro-white. And now that they've actually had to um, come up with some policies that actually are pro-white, there's this huge, um, you know, there's this big disconnect there in the Republican establishment, a lot of consternation at having to actually enact pro-white policies. Well, well Trump's more of a civic nationalist. He has some civic nationalist leanings. That any any form of civic nationalism is going to be seen as pro-white, right? But it's not necessarily because he, he's not necessarily doing these things because he's pro-white. He he just came out with a civic nationalist message, and civic nationalism is appealing to whites because it has facets that would benefit whites in a majority white nation. Yeah, well, again, it's 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 a starting point. You know, this is Trump is by no means a, a finishing. I, I guess I would look at him as kind of the bookend to Napoleon, where whereas Napoleon kind of marked the the rise of the Jew, you know, leaving the pit. I think Trump is the beginning of the end of the the Jewish tyranny. Well, well, uh, now it's not gonna it's not gonna end overnight, but you know, we're starting to see signs of Jewish power starting to wane a bit. I, I think we've hit peak Jew. And now we're we're on the backside of that that bell curve. Well, well, I hope we're on the backside of the bell curve, just because many many more people since Trump ran, many many more people are becoming Jew aware that they really are. Trump could be a great president if he came out and told the truth about why his policies aren't being passed, about why he can't get anything done. But he's not going to do that. Yeah, you know, Obamacare, uh, he, he pledged to repeal Obamacare. It already went down in flames. He pledged, to, he, he swore he was going to investigate and lock up Hillary Clinton. The, the first thing he did when he got elected was say, oh, Hillary Clinton, Bill and Hillary are great people. I don't want to hurt them. Well, what the hell? He was supposed to drain the swamp. Even if. Well, he, Hillary Clinton has uh, Mrs. Rothschild on speed dial, so. Well, well, of course, of course, but Donald Trump wouldn't ever tell us that. That's the key. Yet, you know, Donald Trump, if he gets none of his policies through, none of his promises through, and told us why, truthfully, they didn't get through, he would be a great man. But he's not going to tell us that. He's not going to tell us any of that. 
Well, okay. It, 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 I guess the way I look at it is you can't be in that that office. And if he was to open his mouth like that, he would meet a fate very similar to John Kennedy. Of course, of in, course. In rather short order. And, you know, I think at his stage of the game, you know, he's thinking, well, I'm 70 or whatever. And, you know, maybe he's like, hey, I'm going to take one last run at it and, you know, I'll be damned. But what they do is, though, they threaten your family. But but here's you know? my, my my ultimate point. The best thing that could happen with Donald Trump is that all of these young alt-right people, all of these young um, racially aware people, these Jew-wise people, there's a whole generation of internet denizens now that, that are totally aware of Jewish treachery. If these people see how Donald Trump turned out and give up all hope in the political system altogether, that's the best thing that could come out of a Trump presidency. And and the the Daily Stormer just um, last week admitted that that Trump was a failure and that we couldn't solve our problems by voting. But that's something I wrote ten years ago. I wrote an article on it well, ten years ago. And and other Christian identity pastors forty and fifty years ago understood that and and said it in sermons that we have no political solution. So now we have. All of these young alt-right people and, and um, other um, conservative or nationalist types who have put all their hope in Donald Trump and they're severely disappointed. The best thing we can do is hope that they realize and help them to realize that they're disappointed because it's not Donald Trump's fault. Well, it is. We know it is, but it's not. There's no political solution. That's the bottom line. That's well, what we true. Need I mean, yeah, because okay, look, like like it says in Revelation, our, our kingdom has been handed over to the beast. Right. So until Christ takes it back, I mean, the the political system is run and by the beast. That's what we want all of our people to come to the realization of. That just should, that short line right there summarizes it all. That tells the truth about it all, and and that's the only thing we could do. So then we should take the steps to realize what our real obligations and, and, and our real obligations are as as white people. And and that's basically to seek ye the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added to you. That's the real step that that's the real direction that we have to head in as a race. Yeah, and we will and I, I think you know that process is 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 underway now. I think um, now it's not. It, now look, it took the Jews what 150 years to get emancipated across Europe, and then it took you know another hundred years to really consolidate their power base. So this this sort of thing takes some time. You know, the time to God is different than it is for us. Oh right, you know, it's a process. He, I mean, although although he it, it does say that uh, Satan will be loose for a short season. So I guess my interpretation of that would be um, it's going to be a shorter time than the thousand years that Satan was in the prison. Right, but it's still going to be a couple of centuries. It's already been a couple of centuries. Yeah. It's going to be several centuries, that short season. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. So, I mean, again, we're not predicting dates here, but, you know, you can kind of see maybe on that time frame that, 
you know, how long does it take to separate the sheep from the goats? Well, well, right, and and that's what I think our mission is: is to exploit the cracks in the system, exploit the cracks, and to raise awareness of people. And and when you raise their awareness, you try to steer them in the right direction, because we know what's going on. Yeah, I guess. Uh, um you know, so okay, right now, where are we at now today? Okay, right. we're in the middle of this. How bad can it this, get? This. That's where your notes are going, right? How bad can it get? <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, we're not trying to you know fearmonger here, but you know, we're trying to take an honest assessment of, of what the situation is. You know, I, we're, I don't want to come up here and, and bullshit everybody. You know, um, okay, so we're in the middle of this Gog and Magog war. Okay, you know, Revelation. 20 verse 7 you know chapter 20 verse 7 and when the thousand years are expired satan shall be loosed out of his prison okay so that as we were talking about was the emancipation emancipation of the jews you know about the time of the french revolution um well well, right but it really didn't kick off until they were emancipated in austria and germany germany yeah and that was like a hundred some years later no in the in the 1840s yeah after the um the, the 1840, 1840s revolutions. So, okay, so once they were emancipated, um, and then we get to, to verse 8, and she'll go out and deceive the nations, okay? So people have been deceived, all right? It says the nations will be deceived. So that that's why our people, they're blind, I guess. Okay, they're deceived. Okay, deceive the nations, which are in the four quarters of the earth. So... You know, our white nations are spread out all over the earth. You've got U.S., Canada, you know, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, you know, what's left of South Africa. And then Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And, and as you alluded to, you know, all of our countries now are getting flooded. Right. This is the flood uh, un- from the mouth of the serpent. Right. That this is all those nations of Gog and Magog brought against the camp of the saints. Yep. And went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about. That's uh, our immigration crisis. And the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And, and it's from a whole lot of angles, right? It, it's first you had the legal immigration that flooded the country with um, Arabs and East Asians, <clears throat> beginning with the 70s, Filipinos, Chinese. And, and and then you had the Mexican illegal crisis, which just compounds that. And, and then you had the Negro crisis, which is like a plague. It, it's a plague on the South. And, and, and uh, I mean, Sherman burnt Atlanta. It's still black, right? It, it's it's just a cinder. The, 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 it, it's, wow, it's like biological warfare. And, and we've... <laughs> That's what I've said. A million black people it is the equivalent of like a 75 kiloton nuke. That moves. <laughs> that yeah. Moves and I, it takes it takes them a bit longer to destroy a city, but, the, you know, maybe 50 years. But it's the exact same result when you get done with it. Right. It, it's, um yeah, this, that the, the race war is on many fronts. And see, okay, and one point I wanted to make about this slavery. Okay, so the Jews like to bash us for for the slavery thing. Well, really what happened was, okay, again, the, we'll go forth and deceive the nations. Okay, Jews ran the slave trade, okay? And now, why did they bring them here? Did they bring did they bring black people here to build up the South and 
do manual labor or what I think really was going on was did they bring them here to destroy our country? Well, well, I See, think- I, I think – I, I think the slave trade was almost the beginning of Gog and Magog. We didn't see Europe getting flooded then. <laughs> well, well, right. I, I mean, the the pretense was to to um, to have the, the the slaves work the plantations, right? I, I mean, what it, it's it, it's difficult to describe in a sentence because <clears throat> half of these colonies here from from England and, and from Europe, Dutch, whatever, half of these colonies were founded for purposes of seeking religious independence, while the other half were founded as commercial ventures. The Carolinas were a gift by Charles II to the people who helped put him back on the throne, and that's why they were used exclusively as a commercial venture for commercial purposes. And they imported tens of thousands of slaves into them for that specific reason. And, and white people only moved in later, except for the people that were working for the, the, the plantation owners. The whites moved in later. And, and where you have... Of, of course, Boston, Massachusetts, um, Pennsylvania were founded for free, for entirely different reasons. The Virginia Company was a for-profit company. So, so you had divided interests forming America from the beginning. So, so it, it, it really is... Um, it, it really is a vessel made out of iron and clay, right? It really is. As described, yeah, Daniel, yeah. Um, so I, I, I see the, the zombie apocalypse. Okay, that's the 70 IQ Africans coming over. And, you know, they've been coming over for a long time. And, you know, my, my former home, home in Minneapolis has a substantial Somali population, and massive, and more getting resettled there all the time. Um you know, the, oh. the the mayor, you know, the, the Minneapolis business community is concerned about, uh, they're like, hey, we can't have a year like we had last year with all the crime and uh, the violence downtown. Right. Uh, it's it's scaring people away from the downtown shops, and so they they send a letter to the mayor last fall. Hey, we need a plan ready to go April first. Like, well, what plan are you going to come up with if you don't ship out the Somalis? What what plan is going to work? There is no plan. Well, well, right. Like we need Somalis on top of these American Negroes, right? That, that's yeah. the best thing we need is Somalis. But but right, that the the commercial interests brought the Negroes here, and then later they were used as a wedge to divide the country. Yes. See that that was it was a long. I think it was a long term plan. I think. I think the the labor thing was a cover, it was a cover story. I, I think that was a foot in the door. The real plan was to use them. I mean, the Jews knew what what, what they were doing. The Jews ran the slave trade. The Jews owned the ships. Um, all the all the slave traders observed Jewish holidays. Um, they knew what they were doing, so they would get these people in here, and then it it said, you know, I forget that one of them. I, I was reading a quote from one of the Jews and says. 
we're going to use black America as a battering ram against white America, and that's what they've always been. I mean, who's who founded the NAACP? Who? Well, I think uh, that plan kicked into gear when Andrew Jackson terminated the Second Bank of the United States. When Andrew Jackson terminated the Second Bank, the Central Bank, that's when the Rothschild agents started working the, the churches in North America to agitate for the slaves. The Civil War was a result of the termination of the Second Bank. Yeah, you know, I, yeah, the War of 1812 was the, the, the result of the First Bank uh, charter not getting renewed. Um, the Second Bank, yeah, see, instead of Instead of redcoats, we had you know Africans, um, right? So, so they've been a subversive force in this country from the get go, and you know Jefferson and you know some of the other uh, you know early type leaders in this, this country. They, the original plan was to send them all back. Even Lincoln wanted to do that. He wanted to send them all back to Africa. Well, that was um, started with the, Madison and Monroe, I think. I think that started with Monroe. It, it's um that that's why the capital of Liberia is Monrovia. That that's yeah Monroe that's where they that's where they were all supposed to go back to Liberia. They, they were all supposed to be liberated there. Well, well right, and that's long before the, the the Emancipation Proclamation. That that's Monroe was like the seventh president, right? Lincoln was sixteenth. That that was um I believe that started in Monroe's administration. I, I could be wrong. It might be Madison, but I think it was Monroe. Yeah, in any event, that early on in the, in the Jefferson said that they they couldn't be under the same form of government that we are. There was just no way that you you could have. I mean, and Jefferson was one hundred percent right. Though Africans are not compatible with European civilization. Oh, absolutely not. European civilization. He he who doesn't work doesn't eat. Right. I mean. <laughs> Well, correct, yeah, and, and it's not that all of them don't work. It's that they're just not on the same page as we are. It just multiculturalism is a failure. Wow, I've I mean, seen some that work hard, but they're an extreme minority. Most of yeah. them, most of them don't work. They posture. That they posture. If you watch them in in the supermarkets, like Home Depot, places like that, the Negroes that work there, that they walk around making believe they're working, and and they're not doing anything. They posture. You know, I've had corporate jobs, and you do see a few of them there, more, some of the more high-end ones. But, uh, you know, some of the lower or mid-level ones get get weeded out pretty quick. Um, you know, so it, most people know, you know, an African-American, if, if there is a, such a thing, that <laughs> at least functions, you know. You know, I, I don't believe there is anything such thing as a Jewish American or an African American because America is only America because of the white people. If there's no white people, there's no country. Well, well right. I, I mean us and our posterity, right? Correct. Yeah. So uh, some of them do function at a level that, that that's acceptable, but and, and everybody probably knows a couple couple of them like that. But the the by and large, no, they're not. I mean, uh, the guys over. You know, I don't follow TRS real closely, but one of them wrote an article and they just, just did the raw numbers on the federal budget and the deficit. And it breaks down that every black person in this country equals uh, $10,000 on the budget deficit. 
every uh, every mestizo is 7500 and each white person is a $2,500 budget surplus. I, I, that, that's interesting figures, but, but um, I, I find it hard to believe that the Negro only costs us 10000 a year. That's just on the federal budget. That doesn't count the state or the local. Yeah. You know, so it's going to be – it's probably going to be higher. This is just – they just took the federal numbers and divvied it up. The, the bottom line is that Negroes are a plague. They've destroyed everywhere they go. They've destroyed. Just look at Cleveland, Youngstown, Ohio, Newark, New Jersey, Atlanta. Detroit. Detroit. Detroit's the extreme example. But they destroy everywhere they go. And and if Christ tells us that we know them by their fruits, what black city in America, it is an oasis of peace and prosperity and security. It, it doesn't exist. And, and one of the black leaders was, you know, I saw this guy on YouTube. Was it, uh, oh, Reverend, uh, I forget the guy's name. Um. Uh, He's on Alex Jones once in a while, and uh, he was talking about there is no successful black city in America. No. No, there never will be. Wherever they go, they create Africa. That's their spirit. They create Africa. That's all they can create. It, it's They don't have the spirit of God. They're not blessed what, with prosperity from God, and, and they will never – I don't care about intelligence. I don't care about ability or, or effort. That there are no A's for effort when, when you're um, when your people what would rather pose as gangsters and and shoot each other and take advantage of each other for for drug money and sex and that that's all they care about is instant gratification and and they destroy each other to get it and and we're most fortunate that they destroy each other first because they're lazy that they would rather destroy each other than go out and out, out of their way to look for other people to destroy. It, it's when a white person is destroyed by a Negro, it's just because he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. So far, we've been lucky with that. Yeah, that. I mean, look, look at, okay, Chicago is a good case in point. Look at the murder rate there. Um, you've got a Jewish mayor, and you've got a 83% black population in Chicago. So... So Chicago is going to collapse too. I mean, Baltimore is on the verge of collapse. The mayor in Baltimore is is asking the FBI to come in and help, you know, stop all the uh, murders that are going to be occurring this summer. Well, well, I think we really have to continue to exploit these things. We we have to continue to point these things out. It, it's the, the awakening to Jewish treachery. Just with the Trump election has been large, and and we have to continue to push it. We can't. But we can't rest on our, on, on our laurels as collectively, what, whether we're white nationalists, identity Christians, we can't just say, okay, well, enough people know about the Jews now. But we have to keep beating the drums. We, yeah, we have to keep pushing it. Yeah, I mean, look, Trump can do a certain amount. Okay, look, we, we know that the man has got limitations. So, look, he's not going to get up and talk about Jewish power. On TV. Okay, that's our job. Uh, he would um, never put it that way. He he doesn't no. mind Jewish power. Uh, I mean, look at Jared Kushner. That that yeah. should and and look at his business deals with George Soros, and and look at what's going on now. We spoke about this when 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 we false started this program. Look at what's going on now. Where's Black Lives Matter? Where, where are uh, they? Well, okay. Now I had heard somebody talking about last year that uh, after. The 2016 election, you weren't going to see much of Black Lives Matter. Right now, I did find 
I, I did find a web page that lists they've had a few demonstrations this year or whatever, but nothing like you saw last year. And the reason for that is is um, once the 2016 election was over, the the political types were like, okay, the black vote doesn't matter anymore. So black um, lives don't matter anymore. Correct. Yeah. So there's going to be more Hispanics. You know, they're going to go after more mestizo votes and Asian votes so, than they are blacks. So they don't care about blacks anymore. So whether Trump or Jeb or Hillary would have won, it, didn't, it wouldn't have mattered who won the 2016 election. It was just that was the last election cycle that the black vote was seen as having any value. I just can't, I just can't imagine chink lives matter ever becoming big in the media. <laughs> or spick lives matter or something. Matter, yeah. Well, I, the Black Lives Matter thing was a, it was a, it was just, it was their method to get the the blacks to chimp out and attack white people and demand more concessions from white America. Well, well, right, but I think they were, I think they were a positive force for us. But because uh, to a certain degree, yeah, they they were waking up, they were waking up some some borderline white people. White people were waking now, up to Negro hypocrisy. Yeah, I mean, Colin Flaherty has done a, a wonderful job of pointing out. I mean, like, the black people like to point out, oh, we were getting shot by the police. But then when you really look at the black crime statistics, you know, that it, it just speaks for itself. The, you know, black men rape 25 to 30,000 white women every year in this country. It's the poverty. They're, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, yeah. the truth is that there are more white people living below the poverty line than there are blacks in total. There are more white. If you really look at the poverty figures and, as a percentage of the population, you will find that the number of people living below the, the poverty line is it is greater, much greater than the total number of blacks. And not all blacks are living below the poverty line. The, the white people that are poor simply don't act that way. You, you don't see them all shooting each other over drugs and, and, and gangster rap and, and raping women in West Virginia, where, where you have a tremendous amount of white poverty in Appalachia. That They're not killing each other. And, and, no, and not 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 to the numbers that the, the blacks do. You know, Chicago does not have a gun problem. It's got a it's got a black problem. Well, right. So I mean, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of guns in West Virginia, but I, yeah. I, I thought Black Lives Matter it is was doing us a lot of favors because it it awakened awakened white people to Negro hypocrisy, and I'm gonna miss it. I really am. <laughs> well. It, I guess on the heels of Black Lives Matter, you now have Antifa. That's that's the new right. golden boy for the Soros crew. And, and Although I think, here, I'm sorry. Go on. Yeah, yeah. I, I, from, but from what I'm, you know, I, I haven't had any street confrontations with Antifa personally. <clears throat> but from from what I'm gathering on the internet here in the United States, the the Antifa people, every the last several demonstrations they've showed up at, they've been basically a neutered, you know, force. They can't. You know, they want to punch Nazis in the face, but yet they all weigh, you know, 98 pounds soaking wet. So that doesn't work out too well for them. Or 400. Um, they go to the other extreme, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 They're one or the other. Yeah. In any event, they're not in real what you would call fighting shape. So from that perspective, yeah, they're not 
probably your top choice for for that. But I guess in Europe they're they're a lot more uh, fierce. Uh, they throw bricks through windows. Um, uh, they the European equivalent is a lot. There's a lot more teeth in the uh, European Antifa movement. The, the Antifa, they're basically radicals that are pro-establishment. They want everything that the establishment tells us we should have: open borders, diversity. Um, yeah, and it, it appears gender, this is all funded by the the, S, the SPLC. Yeah, right. Gender ambiguity, so, all, yeah. all of these things that the establishment is pushing on us, the Antifa stands for. That they're radicals for the establishment. It, it's it's they're just brainwashed. That the um that they also help white people awaken to polarization because well, when you see these anti-Trump rallies and, and there's all kinds of 400-pound fa- pigs with purple hair and pink hair or, or there's these skinny little faggots, the, these 98-pound faggots you described, and, and they're all anti-Trump, that then white people see that and say, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> see, that's what I'm getting at. You know, They may even be in the long run more effective than BLM. Um, I, I think uh, as more people encounter them, they're like, "Oh, wait a minute! These these people are totally against everything that works." And the uh, you know the gap there between reality and the the Antifa propaganda is just so large that you know I, I don't care how much money you know Goldman Sachs throws at them, it's just I don't think I don't see that movement really going anywhere. We'll see. I, I might find out firsthand tomorrow because you're gonna, yeah, you're gonna be there on the ground, yeah. So we definitely want to hear about Orleans, that next week. And we will be in New Orleans. So, <laughs> yeah, so okay. And the other thing we're getting out of the political system is, um, you know, I'm down here in Texas now, and Governor Abbott's going after the sanctuary cities, and see that's. That's going to help. Um, what I'm what I've been reading here in the local papers is that uh, you know, they estimate that some 200,000 uh, illegal, you know, and and when we say Mexican, it's really it's not all Mexico. Okay, it's a lot of Guatemalans and Nicaraguans. Um, apparently, the economy's picked up in Mexico, and a lot of them went back and have stayed there. So there's somewhat of a labor shortage here in Texas, especially Dallas is, is what I'm reading. So some of them are going – the, the mestizos got enough, enough wherewithal. A lot of them don't just come here and stay here. They come here, they work for a while, they send some money back home, and then when the work runs out, they go back to Mexico. And a well, lot well, of them – the, I'm sorry. This is the deception with with, with immigration that's been going on for 40 years now. Um, Reagan wanted this. It it was called in 1986. It was the Immigration Reform and Control Bill Act, the Immigration Reform and Control Act that was passed in 1986, which basically took 3 million illegal Mexicans at that time and made them legal. It was an amnesty bill, but it was a it, it was a um, it was supposed to be a compromise that turned into a bait and switch, right? The compromise was that he would give the that the amnesty if they would start enforcing certain immigration laws that always existed for the most part, 
and, and they never started enforcing those laws. So we had this amnesty of three million people. They never start enforcing the well. I don't really want to call them people, but that they, for, for for the sake of example, I will. That they they never enforce these laws, and we end up with thirty million more. I mean, what the hell? If we're not going to enforce the laws, all they would have to do is enforce the immigration laws that we had in 1986, and there wouldn't be any illegals here, hardly. Well, if we would have enforced the immigration laws that we had in 1961, right. none of this would have happened. But, but see, I, I think that's the difference now. There's, there's at least a certain amount of political will, like you know, like you know, somebody like Jeff Sessions, um, you know, the Attorney General, or here in Texas, Governor Abbott, to actually enforce the existing laws and to to make the local officials cooperate with the federal immigration people. Well, well, right, but the bottom line is that the international corporations don't want the immigration laws in, enforced. They, no, they don't. And, they never um, did, and that's why they always end up not being enforced. This time around in Texas, uh, in 2011, Rick Perry apparently – I was reading this the other day uh, down here in Texas. Uh, Perry had this same sanctuary city deal, but the, the Texas business community was able to thwart it at the legislature. This year now they could not do it. Uh, try as they might, they could not stop it, and it got through. Um, so I think, again, you know, that harkens back to my theory that you know, Jewish power is starting to wane a little bit. You know, it's not, obviously it's not dead yet, but it's not maybe as strong as it was a few years ago. You know, I mean... Anybody that's, you know, like Andrew England right now has got a lawsuit by the SPLC. So he's running into that Jewish buzzsaw, as I like to call it. Well, well I, think that's all a, I think that's all a purposeful dichotomy because I think he's supported by Jews. I, I really do. I mean, well, he, he, he may or may not be. I, I don't, I, I'm sure that, you know, I read through that, that lawsuit, and they're, they're coming after him now. What, I, what, I, what actually comes out of it, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure how it's going to all play out. But – in the past, the, that same sort of pressure tactic from the SPLC or the ADL, you know, or the APAC or, you know, wherever, that sort of pressure, you know, when they talk about pressure groups, what they're talking about is Jewish, you know, on, on the in the legislative end of things. Those lobby groups were able to get their will enforced. This year it didn't happen. Anglin has promoted Jew after Jew after Jew. He's promoting the work of Jew after Jew after Jew. It doesn't end. It was Stefan Molyneux, and, and that now it's this David Seaman. There are other people exposing um, pedophilia problem and Pizzagate, but he's out of all the people exposing Pizzagate, he's promoting David Seaman. Now he he's promoting Mike, Mike Enoch again. Mike Enoch, yep, that's the one. Yeah, see that. that that does tend to grind my gears. I mean, Mike Enoch is an admitted Jew, and he's and he's married to a Jew. He, he's never hid the fact that he was a Jew, except that you no. you only you, you have to be sharp and listen to all of his podcasts. And 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 he's mentioned Mike Delaney put a string of like four um, quotes from together from different podcasts of Mike Enoch admitting that he was a Jew. In the, the the precise language that he was using, but Stephen Molyneux has done the same thing. Yeah, Molyneux, he admitted his his mom was part 
Jew or raised Jewish. Yeah, so his mom was a Jew, so that. And, and he's promoting the Cernovich, and and he's a, a Jew. Jew. Yep. Why, why is he promoting Jew after Jew after Jew? It, if he's pretending to be awakened to the Jewish problem, and 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 pretending to be an anti-Semite, I, I don't get it. He is muddying the waters, and every time he gets away with promoting a Jew, he goes and promotes something even worse. Now. Not only is he promoting a, a whole string of Jews, now he's promoting Tommy Sotomayor, who's a freaking nigger. He's promoting a Negro. And David Duke has done the same thing with that Sotomayor. Why? Yeah, he's been on. He's, yeah, he's done. Yeah, yeah. Why give the Negro credibility? If we're white nationalists, you do not give your enemies that sort of intellectual credibility. Never. That's not the way to fight a war. Well, either they have some extremely bad judgment or, you know, something else is going on there. Something else is going on there. That's what I figure. That's what I figure. Something else is going on there. There's no other reasoning for for, for the – But, um, okay, from from, from my experience, I'm going to throw this out there, though. Okay, so in the 9-11 field, okay, now I've run into hardcore – Mossad operatives, okay? I mean, complete shills, okay? Now, these people are completely funded by the Jews. Um, They have... um, One thing you can always tell a shill is they're allowed to sell stuff. You know, they can have advertising on the website. Um, You know, Chris Boleyn comes to mind. You know, he's a complete shill for the kikes, 100%. Um, He lives in Israel half the time. Uh, he promotes Jewish lie after Jewish lie about 9-11. Uh, he's come after me personally. Uh, you know, he's, he looked up my, you know, uh, he called my mom and dad at their old house. Um, you know, Chris Boleyn is 100% shill. Now, I know a lot of people that, oh, he's this great truth hero. Bullshit. You know, I'll take Andrew England any day of the week over Chris Boleyn. I'll put it that way. Judy Wood, there's another one. Okay, now that's a fucking shill right there. Uh, pardon my French. Um, she sells her book, and she is run by the Jews completely, 100%. She sent us an email after one of our articles just grinded her gears back in 2013, and she carbon copied, you know, the uh, the ADL, the SPLC, and the San Diego uh, Jewish Journal. So that, that's who she's in bed with. Well, well, they create a lot of distractions, and, and I'm not going to even want to get into distractions about the causes and, uh, uh, or the methods in bringing down the World Trade Center. But they create all these distractions, but they never identify who did it. No, no. Judy will never talk about who did 9-11. She always spends her time on trying to figure out how it was done. But then she tells you she's got overwhelming proof. and no, It's just a big Jewish runaround. It's always um, been my contention that, yeah, you know, when um, I was locked away for a long time, right? I didn't get to see all of the evidence as it was coming out, and that that's another story I don't want to get bogged down in. But to me, it was always important to identify who did it. It doesn't matter yeah, how it was yeah. done. It, if you and I are locked in a room together and and you walk out and I'm laying there bleeding, well, well, obviously you're guilty, right? But it don't really matter how it was done. What the hell? That's secondary, right? Well, That's peripheral, practically. 
Well, some of us put in the time necessary to figure it out, and once you do, then they start attacking you. So once they attack me more, then I push on it harder. So that's that's why that's how I got to be where I am. But the characteristics I noticed of a complete Jewish shill are somebody that is allowed to sell stuff, you know, advertising on the website. They can sell their books. They can collect donations. Now, England's been shut down. Okay, there, There's no advertising whatsoever on the Stormer. And he has a hard time even getting uh, donations. His PayPal's been shut down, this, that, and the other. So he's you know, maybe he's maybe he's compromised to a certain yeah, degree. But well. if he was a complete total shill, he'd be allowed to raise revenue. He's doing pretty damn good from what I've seen <laughs> with his revenue-raising capability. And and that's a – to me, I mean, we can't do what we do without being able to raise revenue. But because we can't work for a living and and we can't advertise and that's fine, right? But it, it's um the the Jews have I I believe the enemies have figured all that out by now, I really do, and it's easy for them to emulate somebody who's not a shill at this point in time, and I, I I'm I'm not. I don't know with certainty that Andrew Anglin is a shill, but I'm going to call him a shill simply because he's promoting Jew after Jew after Jew after Jew, and, and he should never be doing that. that. That's a violation. That's a serious violation of intellectual integrity to me. And, and you can't come back from that when you do it time and time and time again. A, a true yeah, white nationalist should have nothing to do with Jews. Nothing. So, so that's you know that's the hurdles that we have in informing people of, of what's going on in the world. For for every um for for every real truth teller, there's a hundred out there that have bigger voices, bigger megaphones, more financing that are that that are able to drown you out. It, it's really an uphill climb. I, I mean, we're what we're told in scripture that 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 God will. Uh, awaken and call his people and and that is the, that that is very true we can see that in our experience that's what i'm getting at what we can actually see that yeah i mean look if you know and, and what i tell people like i, I run into them in the comments section like with 9 11 they're like well geez how can you guys there's no scientists that are going to come out and like, i'm like look if you're looking for a fair fight you've come to the wrong place yeah, you know, it doesn't matter if there are scientists that come out and tell the truth. You know why? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and we both know he's a Jew, right? Architects and engineers. Yeah. yeah. A lot of things Richard, they say are absolutely true. The, the controlled demolition stuff, proving the buildings fell down, yet, you know, that it was planned. A lot of things they say are absolutely true, and nobody cares. The mainstream well, media don't care. Architects and engineers is run by a Jew. Right. Yeah, Richard Gage, yeah, and I've met him personally. But, but to me, that proves that it don't matter how many scientists come out. It, well, it, exactly. It, 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 yeah, look, it, all you really have to do is, and I got the clip somewhere on my blog, um, Larry Silverstein got up and admitted that they were designing the new Building 7 in April of 2000, and they were raising money for the construction before the old building even went down. It, it's incredible. So how, it, it does. So it, how, how much more do you need to know than that? 
If it doesn't happen on CNN and Fox News, then it didn't happen. If it only (laughs) happens on CNN, then to the other half of the country, it didn't happen. If it only happens on Fox News, then to half of the country, it didn't happen. You you see what I'm getting at? That these people are so um, programmed to believe that the mainstream media tell them the truth, and if it's not on mainstream media, it didn't happen. Correct. And okay, that that that, that kind of segues into my next my next area. Okay, the the you know the legacy media, the you know the dominant, the mainstream media, the, the Jewish media, it, it's starting to collapse now too um, under the weight of all their lies. Um, Fake we're news. starting to find. <laughs> We're starting to find, yeah, the fake news thing. Okay, that is real. I mean, not that CNN had much credibility anyway, but whatever they had, I mean, that's another thing the Trump election did was when when all the the New York Times and CNN, oh, Hillary's got a ninety five percent chance of winning, and ninety eight percent chance two days before the election or ninety seven, and then she gets routed. I mean, right there, it's well, maybe there is a credibility gap there. Well, of course there is, you know, and. We're starting to see, you know, the I think the, the public approval of the media now is it's lower than that of Congress. So while they have a, you know, they've got cable TV, they've got satellite, you know, Fox News and CNN, you know, they've got like you say the big, you know, the big megaphone or the mighty Wurlitzer. I mean, let's look at it, okay? The daily papers are dying. You know, the New York Times is dying. They've had to downsize and. They, they had to redo all their space and rent out space in their building. Um, you know, they're, the New York Times are starting to stabilize a bit with their their paywall, but you know, how many of these outfits are actually going to be able to charge people for content? You know, not very many, and most likely with the Times, it's just a you know, it's just maybe going to slow down the inevitable a bit. They're going to collapse. Yeah, uh, you know, CNN is. I'm sorry. CNN I'm... is collapsing. Yeah, CNN is collapsing. The papers are collapsing. The only one that's really staying afloat is Fox Fox News. I do a Google search, right? I'm looking for information on a particular topic. I do a Google search, and I hit the first link, and I get a paywall. Close the tab. I hit the second link, and I get autoplay, automatically playing media. I close the tab. You keep going, yep. you keep digging, you'll get the information you need. Sometimes, you know, I never do research on on Google, right? It's very rare. But sometimes you need information that's readily available information that's commonly known, right? Like you want yep. to know what the demographics of Cleveland are. So you do a Google search on something like that, which, you know, you're not going to find too many lies. You might find a couple of websites that are off a, a, a percentage point or two, but you're basically going to get the truth from most publicly available websites that have that sort of information. If I see a paywall or, or too many pop-up ads or, or automatically playing media, I'm out of there. I'm not staying. And, yep. and I think most people are probably like that, that they're not going to go to those websites. They're, they're, they're so accustomed to being able to get certain information for free that they ain't paying for that. And, and and most of the stuff in the New York Times is carried by UPI or AP, so they're going to get it from another newspaper. How many people go to the New York Times for the editorial content? A, a couple of thousand Marxists in, in New York and Connecticut? 
yeah, maybe there's some in on the West Coast too. But yeah, that that's about it. Yeah, there's. So the New York Times is they're a dead man walking. Well, well I can't just, wait. It, just, it's I, I thought it would happen by now. It you know these things take a little time to play out. I mean, look, there's enormous you know Jewish money behind the Times to keep it afloat. Right. So I mean, the, you know, there's a lot of big money behind there, and they've they've pulled in some other partners too, and the, you know the, they've got some some real estate in in Manhattan that that they can rent out for a pretty good price. So they can keep the operation afloat, at least to a certain degree, you know, probably for, you know, a few years yet, but look, they're, they're on the way out. Most daily papers are done. Uh, The internet has, has killed them. Uh, You know, CNN, CNN has no uh, uh, credibility. Uh, MSNBC has no credibility. You know, CBS, no credibility. I mean, they, they've all lied about everything. They lied about the Iraq War. They lied about uh, Syria. They've lied about 9-11. They, they've lied about everything, and people are starting to figure it out now. Yeah, you know, I remember when the Internet started in, in, in 1993, and, and the first search engine that came out was by from a company called Digital Research, and it was mm-hmm. called AltaVista. And it worked pretty damn good, and it... it looked not much like Google, not much different than Google looked in its early days. I mean, it was it, it was sleek and efficient, and, and it got your stuff for you that you were looking for. But the investment bankers put so much money into just a few Jewish-controlled companies. Those companies have basically become the Internet behemoths they are today for that reason. Amazon... And, and Yahoo, Yahoo not so much, but Amazon, Google, eBay, that those companies lost money year after year after year after year. And the investment bankers just, that they print the money for nothing, right? Just kept pumping it into them until they finally became economically viable. And, and it's only the fact that they're on this, that they can collect little fractions of a penny of revenue on this huge scale that they are economically viable. Well, okay, that's kind of how Amazon got going too, but you know, maybe that's a topic for another day. Well, um, well right, it is. Okay. No. Well, well, that's a good now, topic today if we're going to talk about the, the the state of the economy and where that's headed. Yeah, we're. Well, I was going to say let's we'll, we'll get to retail in just a minute here. I just wanted to finish up on the media collapse. Um, okay, so the news the news end of the Jewish media. Okay, it's in complete free fall, but. One thing that's kept them floating the last couple of years has been sports. Okay, now even sports is starting to collapse on them. Um, last October, November uh, what was the last November they lost. I'm looking at a story here on Outkick the coverage. Uh, the worldwide worldwide leader in sports lost 621,000 cable subscribers in a month. Um, so they they're they're ESPN's in a free fall. Um, they've 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 shelled out billions of dollars for uh, uh, you know NFL and NBA broadcast rights, and so they've got a huge built-in you know expense, um, and they've got a, a dwindling you know uh, revenue base to pull from. So their business model is just not sustainable. Um, they may not survive. You know, all the contracts they've signed with the NFL, the NBA, I mean, ratings are down, subscribers are down. Uh, they just fired 100 people here a couple of weeks ago or a week ago, um, more than 100. You know, 
on-air talent. Um, so even ESPN now is collapsing. Well, well, what are people doing with their time? Yeah, they're, they're not watching uh, the Jewish sports anymore. I, I mean, that would be a wonderful thing if people were pulled away from, from, from sports, but I can't imagine what they're doing with their time. I, 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 they're not well, in their I, garage I, I, in, in woodshop um, <laughs> teaching their kids how to make furniture like they used to be. No, I think now maybe they're they're I think I think the ESPN people maybe they're trickling over to Netflix or you know maybe Amazon Video or you know something like that. But the the even the even the sports now though are are in complete freefall. So that's got to tell you something. Um, uh, they've lost. They're losing what is it two to three million a year. So they're they're looking dire. Um, so that end is collapsing now. Okay, in, in Hollywood, let's let's just touch on that real quick. Uh, we were looking at some numbers the other day. Okay, now Hollywood box office revenue, you know, it's gone up each year the last few years. But what we're seeing is really it's the the top ten films are now thirty percent of all Hollywood revenue. You know, and a lot of these are like these blockbusters with you know the Star Wars or you know these superhero. You know the third or fourth iteration of whatever superhero movie they you know they're pushing this week. So a lot of the movies are losing money, and um, the only ones that people are going to are the big, like the must, the ones that are seen as must see, like you know Star Wars or you know Batman versus Superman, something like that. But a, a lot of these other movies are just not selling any tickets. You know, when we drive by the theaters in in Panama City, they're empty. They're always empty. I, I don't know how they stay open. Yeah, like the ones, you know, when the last time I went to a movie was probably, I don't know, was it three years ago, I think, two, three years ago. And I went to a Friday night movie. It was, the place was pretty packed. Well, and I, well, I think uh, last year I did, I went and saw Star Wars, the, not this, the, the end of 14, I think. Or the end of 15, end of 2015, and we went and saw that. And you know that movie theater was not. It was there was people in there, but it was it was not packed. I would rather stay home and play Russian roulette with the Derringer. Than go yeah, I and go to a movie. I, I hate. I know it's like well, typically the only way I'll go to a movie is if uh, the female drags me there. You know. I, uh, <laughs> Well, my cousin wanted to see the Star Wars movie, so she she drugged me out there. So we went and saw that. And, you know, I don't see her, but you know, a couple times a year. Or so I was like, okay, I'll go see it with you. You know, what the heck? So we met about halfway, and uh, we went and saw that. Um, but yeah, other than that, I I don't I don't look at the you know the the thing on Friday night and figure out what movie I want to go to. That that just doesn't happen. So, so even Hollywood now is starting to feel the pinch. So they're 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 trying to do things like, hey, it's taken too long from when the movie leaves the theater until we can sell it on DVD. You know, we're we're losing revenue there. But the theater owners are like, hey, we need that gap, or it's going to wreck our business. So they're in kind of a catch twenty two there. So I, I think you know, I think Hollywood is starting to wane too. Um, the Jews have gotten a lot of mileage out of that crap. Well, I don't know. Maybe um, if Superman gets a sex change and fights against Wonder Woman, that that they might get another blockbuster. 
Or if they put Wonder Woman on hormone replacement uh, therapy. Yeah, right. I don't know how sick they could make it, but but, but pretty soon, they're, they're, you know, the movie's a reflection of, of, of the direction they want to take the real world, and, and I'm surprised that we don't see more Sodom and Gomorrah coming out of out of the theaters, out, out of the mainstream Hollywood. I, I mean, it, it, I know it's pretty bad, but I'm surprised it's not enough, a lot worse. I really am. That they really have nothing holding them back anymore. <laughs> well, the only thing that holds them back is is if if people will go and buy tickets to it. Um, eventually, like a lot of the ESPN collapse. Now they're blaming it on well, ESPN's liberal, and they've been putting this left wing spin on everything, and it's sports, though. that's why they're. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that's it completely, but you know, there's a lot of pundits that are saying, well. You know they're tired of Caitlyn Jenner being celebrated and and Michael Sam and you know and Colin Kaepernick is this big hero and um, you know Kaepernick I think might be sort of the poster child for the ESPN downfall but he's by no means the whole reason for that. Right when when um, conservative Christians that should never have been spending their Sundays watching football stopped watching football for a few weeks because this nigger wouldn't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance or something, right? But the Star Spangled Banner or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, really, I guess what I what one of the analysts was talking about was, you know, people used to watch three football games on a Sunday, and now maybe they're watching one or two, I think is how it was described. But, you know, it's kind of the start. You know, it's... You know, people are starting to go, oh, wait a minute, why am I going to watch three hours of this garbage? You know, because it, I mean, really, what is the NFL? It's, you know, it's glorifying the the African, um, it, all the teams are owned by Jews. Um, yeah, yeah, right, but mo- most of these people who watch football all day, that they go to church at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, and, and the, the pulpit pimp glorifies Africans and has them worshiping Jews. So it's only a natural to go home and worship them for eight hours more on your television. Yeah, you go from yeah you go from service from eight to nine or nine to ten whatever, and then you get home, uh, get something to eat, watch the pregame, and then you know watch six hours of football. And that's what they do. And they eat it all up. And 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 then their daughter brings a nigger home, and and it's like, Daddy, I brought home one of your heroes. We're gonna get married. H- how do you say no? <laughs> Yeah, what what moral ground do you have to stand on there? What when you've been uh, worshiping them on television the whole time the girl's growing up? It, so I think that's I think I think all of this is is it's starting to lose appeal now. The, the the average white guy out there is starting to not be as a this is not as appealing as it once was. And, and that would be a wonderful thing and a big plus, but I'm just wondering what they're replacing it with. Well, I, I guess the you know the you know it, it just this really accelerated last year, so uh, I guess we'll have to, s- to see how it shakes out. Um, right. I haven't seen the I haven't seen the raw numbers on that yet. And we know they're leaving. That, you know, yeah, where are they going? Pray that the trend continues. <laughs> I mean, well, they're not going to my blog in droves. I guess I could tell you that. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that they, they might be on the internet somewhere, but it's probably. Yeah. On porno sites or games <laughs> that they're playing games or something. More than likely, um, 
Okay, so okay, so the media is. Listen, okay, I would say I think it's safe to say that the Jewish media as a whole has lost quite a bit of influence from what they had, say, ten to fifteen years ago. And, and we have to pray that continues because all the news is fake news. It, even it, if if it's factually real, the way they report it, they they make it into fake news. They spin it their way. Yes, there's their point of view gets out. I mean, and and really the. You know, I heard another pundit talking about that. Sure, the Jews print the money supply; um, they create the money, and you know we have to pay them interest to use the money, and, and that's that's a lot of power for them. But what, really, what is the first thing they did once they got the printing press here in the United States? They bought up newspapers and radio stations, right? Because they needed that that mind control to keep this thing going. And see, that part of it now is starting to fall apart for them. So there's, I, I see some chinks in the armor there. Um, well, no, okay, now as we were, and you alluded to a few minutes ago, uh, okay, so retail, um, you know, and there's, you know, there's uh, in Revelation it talks about, uh, uh, you know, Revelation eighteen, you know, chapter eighteen, verse fifteen, the the merchants of these things which were made rich buyers shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. And saying, "Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen, and purple and scarlet, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour so great riches has come to naught, and every shipmaster, and all the company and ships and sailors, and as many as trade by sea, stood afar off." And uh, eighteen, eighteen, and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning. Say, "What city is unto like this great city?" And they cast the dust off their heads. And cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city therein that made rich all that had ships by the sea, and reason of her uh, costliness. For in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. If, if you so, take the nature of Mystery Babylon, and, and the fall of Mystery Babylon, which leads right into... The return of Christ in Revelation chapter 19, right? The armies of Christ that go yep. out and defeat all their enemies, right? So you take the nature of the fall of Babylon, which is obviously international trade, international commerce, global commerce, globalism. So mystery Babylon is the same as the forces behind globalism. And you take that step... And you go look at Revelation chapter 20 again. Revelation chapter 20 is a synopsis chapter of Revelation. It's a summary. It's a separate vision from Revelation 18 and 19. It's not a continuous chronological prophecy that's going to happen after Revelation 19. It's a separate vision which describes, it's a Hebrew parallelism a separate vision which describes different aspects of what you just saw from a slightly different vantage point. So, so Revelation chapter 20, this Satan that gathers all of the nations against the camp of the saints, and you put that together with Revelation chapter 18, which is the global commercial and mercantile system, then it should become manifest to you what the Satan is. It has to be 
the international Jew who controls all of the central banks and all of the major corporations, which had forced this system of global trade onto every nation. And it is that same system which has forced open our borders, um, caused our congressmen, our legislators, our law enforcement people not to want to enforce our laws and flood us with immigrants. It, it's all connected. And, and it should be – and anybody that looks at it objectively from that viewpoint should be able to see that. Yes. Okay. And so – where were all these goods getting shipped to this international commerce? Where was where was all this stuff headed? Well, it was headed for shopping malls, and you know we're we're looking at now a, a retail apocalypse is what they're calling it. Um, I found a story here on Business Insider. Um, retailers are filing for bankruptcy at an alarming rate that's quickly approaching recessionary levels. Um, it's only April, and nine retailers have filed for bankruptcy since the start of the year. As many as all of last year. Um, 2017 will be the year of retail bankruptcies, says Coralie Lopez Castro, a bankruptcy lawyer. Uh, she told that to Business Insider after she attended a recent distressed investing conference in Palm Beach, Florida. Retailers are running out of cash and the dominoes are starting to fall. So we've seen uh, Payless, uh, Shoe Source, HH uh, Gregg, The Limited, Radio Shack. Uh, BCBG, Wet Seal, Gorman's, Eastern Outfitters, and Gander Mountain are among the retailers that have filed bankruptcies uh, for bankruptcy so far this year. Uh, most are closing hundreds of stores as a result. Uh, and on top of those closures, uh, the retailers that are staying in business, at least for now, are shutting down a record number of stores. Uh, so they're saying a, a, more than 3,500 stores are expected to close over the next several months. Um, and like, okay, so what, what they're, then they talk about during the recession, you know, I don't think this economy has ever gotten out of it, but they're referring to 2007, 2008. Uh, during the recession, private equity firms and banks came to the rescue of some of these retailers and brought them out of bankruptcy through restructuring. But there aren't many firms willing to rescue the dying retailer these days, uh, said RBC uh, Capital Markets. Uh, private equity firms and banks seem less willing now to step in to save these failing retailers as the issues this time around are more structural rather than quick operational fixes, RBC analysts wrote in a recent research note. Um, <clears throat> so the Jewish money is not rushing in to save these guys this time. Well, well maybe it can. I, I mean, they, they don't have the sales. It, it's... Uh, we we have noticed that the retail outlets here are, are dead. Nobody's buying anything. It, it's we we were Melissa and I went through just to take a walk. What we went through a high end retailer in Destin, Florida last week, and just took a walk. I bought a pair of pants. Uh, I needed a pair of jeans, and and um, all every store in the place they tried to sell me a second pair of pants. I didn't want one. That that every store in the place had a buy one get one half price sale every store in the mall because nobody was buying anything that there were only that there were only a few dozen people walking around this whole huge mall and nobody was buying anything that there's um it it seems to me that that people just don't have any disposable income to to constantly purchase stuff like they did 20 30 years ago 
yeah, the, the discretionary income is gone. You know, uh, uh, you know, student loan debt. You know, I've got a chunk of that myself. Um, you know, other most people that would be out at a mall now are paying you know mortgage size student loans. Um, so that I think that's got an effect on it. And then the other is the jobs are gone. Right. You know, even in the past, you know, the American consumer, even if he had some debt, would be more than willing to go out and spend money if he had something coming in. But see, the the economy is not it's not generating the jobs that it used to. So we're seeing, you know, there's going to be okay. If the retail stores are collapsing, soon behind that, commercial real estate is going to be taking a nosedive. Right. This so uh, because you know they they talk about that you know in the past, like okay, so like ten years ago when a lot of these outfits failed. Um, the malls were able to get other clients in there like, uh, you know, fitness or, um, you know, you're even starting to see the uh, dialysis pop up in strip malls. Right. Um, medical stuff. Me- medical yeah. offices because there are no retail offices to move into there. And, and that's the, the malls that we're familiar with, in, not only in Panama City and Bristol, Tennessee and, and, and elsewhere – where we've been to malls, half the stores are missing. Half the stores are, are empty. Yeah, according to that RBC Capital Markets research note, it said, quote, um, over the last few years, we believe most of the emptied store space that has been taken over by expansion of restaurants, entertainment spaces, movie theaters, and health and wellness destinations, like hair and nail salons and fitness studios. The analyst wrote, if store closures continue, we find it harder to imagine that there is a solid supply of concepts willing to take over these locations. <clears throat> the the um, Walmart is laying off thousands of people in their back office operations right now, and and they're supposedly wanting to redirect the the, the their money into online sales. Amazon.com's sales are up thirty percent a year the last ten years. But even with that, they were $136 billion last year, I think, in, in net sales revenue. That's only less than it, – it's about 30% of Walmart's net sales revenue. So, so it, it's a drop in the bucket compared to the retail market as a whole. That now, um, even though it's a lot higher than Target and, and some other large retailers, it's still – not really that high. What Amazon has gained in sales is still far, far less than than the the decline in retail sales as a whole, right? Yes. Yeah. There's been a bigger decline. Than it. You can't blame it all on Amazon. Right. You can't yeah, blame hardly any of it on Amazon. Is what I'm trying to say. So even though Amazon has taken off and and is doing really well. They're a drop in the bucket still. They're, they're only 30% of Walmart. And, and Walmart has not lost sales revenue. They've only leveled out. They're up and down 5 or $10 billion the last four or five years. But they pretty much leveled out. And so is Target. They haven't lost a lot of sales revenue. They've just stopped growing. Walmart stopped growing five, six years ago. And, yeah, and so Target, Target pulled the plug. Target pulled the plug on their Canadian experiment. Okay, they closed all their stores in Canada. All I think they had a hundred. Now they didn't have those like the the big targets you see down here. They were more of a 
right. a smaller type, but they they just ne- never took off in Canada, and they just they just pulled the plug on the whole well, thing. Well, right, but that's not really a retail failure. That's only a failure of Canadians yeah. to warm up to Target. But there is a huge retail failure. Uh, I, I mean, and and I, I can't really understand that because there are malls that these like these um, Bass Pro Shops, these super huge Bass Pro Shops are going up everywhere all over the south and large retail malls are, are attached to the mall. And and there's a lot of those being built down here. So so that's another story, but that doesn't make up for all the paylesses and, and the, the other 14 chains that have gone out of business. Sears is about to go under. Uh, I mean, yep. Yeah. Sears, you know, I had a, uh, I used to work with a guy a couple months ago and his day job was at, at Sears. And, uh, he was talking about the, you know, even a month or two ago, they were, they were struggling to get credit to buy merchandise for the Christmas season, you know, Christmas of 2017. Yeah. Sears's revenue is down about 33% over the last 35% or something like that over the last five or six years. It was like twenty-one billion, and 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 that's a drop, and that's only five percent of Walmart when they were at twenty-one billion. Now it's down to fourteen, fifteen billion. Sears is in big trouble. It's incredible. Sears is on the verge. Yeah, Sears, Kmart is. You know, they merged, but that was a uh, that was a d- d- disaster. They should have just let Kmart collapse. Um, I don't know if that if that's if that. Hasten Sears decline, or you know, I'm not sure what happened there, but Sears was the biggest retailer, you know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. They were huge. They had a huge lead and blew it. Right. Well, well, I mean, they were holding on to catalogs when when the internet was on. <laughs> yeah, and that's. I heard somebody. I heard somebody talking about that. They they got their start as a catalog outfit, and then this whole internet thing came by, and just they didn't get it. No, they didn't. Yeah. They were still pushing catalogs on the internet when people had the internet, right? I mean, who wants to it's like, catalogs? I mean, basically, what is the internet? It's, it's like the new catalog, you know? Yeah. The, 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 the bottom line is this, that, that there, there's a huge retail problem in, in the country, and that's not the problem. That's, that, that is a symptom of much deeper problems. Yes. Yep. So... You know, and that harkens back to my, uh, you know, do we, okay, so even if you weren't looking at this from a CI or a, you know, Christian perspective or whatever, if you're just a business analyst, do you think retail as a whole is ever going to really recover from this? Well, well, to me, the, the, the question to ask is how much that the entire economy, that the entire economy, since all the manufacturing was moved overseas, that the entire economy is running on air. And, and how much do they want to keep pumping air into the beast in order to keep it propped up? That's the question. Yeah, exactly. So nothing's really getting produced. So there's no money to buy anything, really. Um, so this is a systemic problem. That they print money and they give it to whoever they will. That they do. So, I, I mean, we've seen uh, we, we've seen these Somalian immigrants just get off the boat like a couple of weeks ago. They got a brand new minivan. That they they're all wearing brand new clothes, and and that they're in the supermarket, 
and they're loading their cart up with, with whatever they want, and, and there's stuff falling out of it. Uh, I mean, these people just got off the boat. They're not working. Where are they getting this money? Well, I think we know where it's – see, these, these charities, you know, like uh, Catholic, you know, charities or the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society or whoever's relocating these people – they're getting forty five hundred bucks a person per yeah, year right. to, to resettle these. Right, the charities are using government funds, to, not donor funds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's coming off the the good old Jewish printing press. That's where the money's coming from. And, and that's probably yeah. helping to prop up the retail problem, at least to some yep. small extent. <laughs> so, really, this this retail collapse is just a natural outgrowth of shipping all the jobs out. And flooding the country with, um, with non-white people. That's why this is all going belly up. So we don't. I don't see this getting any better. It's only going to get worse. Uh, it's just to, to what degree. And so I think it'd be safe to say, okay, mystery Babylon. Okay, has it has it fallen yet completely? No, but we can sure see. You know, and, and you know, activists around the world now are are getting a bad taste in the mouth of globalism. So the people are waking up and they're they're starting to march for nationalism. Globalism is a fail and so people are not not enchanted with it like maybe they once were. So I see mystery Babylon now. Even in the last year, look at look at what we've seen. So you know progress has been made there. Now it's not mystery Babylon has not fallen yet, but we can certainly see some cracks in the foundation there. Yeah, there are cracks in the system. We, 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 I just don't know how long they can keep it going. That it's cause, because yeah. it's all artificial. The, the economy is not real. That that that's um, a hard nut for for average mainstream people to crack. Though, what what do you mean it's not real? My my money's not real. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's as real as you believe it is. You know, it's as real as whoever is willing to accept it for payment of something believes well, it right, is right right but mm. what wow is it is it going to be easy for them to pull the plug on the whole thing i, I don't know it, it like you said we can't see the future we can't see the future the, the scripture doesn't exist so that we can see the future it exists so that when things happen and and we read the scripture we look back and know that god is true because that's the ultimate realization we have to come to so, I mean, we know Mystery Babylon's going to collapse at some point, and we see it starting to to teeter now. So, But we can't say, hey, on such and such date, it's going to finally fall apart. You know, there, there's usually some calamitous event that just brings the whole thing down, you know. So, so far we've seen kind of a – so far it's been a kind of an incremental, you know, slide here. Well, I don't know how it, it – it, it's it, – here's how they keep the system propped up. The, the dollar – it takes a dollar nine to buy a euro right now, right? But that – a euro costs more than that for the first 11 months of 2016. So the dollar is stronger against the euro since Trump got elected. It, it's a, a Chinese yuan or yen or however they say that, Y-U-A-N word. I don't watch TV, so I don't know how they pronounce it, right? Uh, a Chinese yuan, is, and, and it's a yuan, a Chinese yuan is 6.9 to the dollar. That That's better than it was at, um, at any time since like 2008. 
it, it's the dollar is pretty strong right now, and it's it's all artificial. It, it's <laughs> well, I, I, part of that is it's got the world uh, reserve currency status. Um, so there's it. it well, what is that? But what does that's that actually what the mean? war with Russia is really about, right? I, I mean, that's yes, what the, yeah, because the, Russia's Russia and China are talking about doing trade in a currency other than dollars, and that's the big brouhaha there. And just for people that maybe you know aren't familiar with this, so what does the world reserve currency status mean for the dollar? Okay, in in real terms, it, it means oil. Okay, so. Oil is traded in dollars. So before you can buy a barrel of oil, first you have to buy dollars. Right. So that creates a market for the dollar. Which drives its value up. Yep. Yeah. So at some point, you know, that's going to end. Well, well that could be what finally pulls the plug. And, and yeah. that could that, – that would have to. They would have to have a war over that. I, I mean, we, we've that, – that's the real struggle – that that the um that the various gangs of international Jews have had with each other for for all these years that is the what whether or not the dollar was going to remain the the reserve currency yeah and it, it, as i talked about in the in the last series <clears throat> so the, the the derivatives bubble um there's just trillions of dollars in these derivatives and nobody can really understand what all of it means but they're basically bets, you know, like this is going to fail or this will succeed or this will go to that price or this will go to that. It's, it's all speculation. But if if the dollar loses its world reserve currency status and the economy collapses, that it's, it's safe to say that most of those derivatives bets are going to fail. And all of these all of these too big to fail banks have massive exposure to derivatives. You know, Wells Fargo, Chase, you know. Citibank, uh, Bank of America, Deutsche Bank. I mean, all these huge banks, trillions and trillions of dollars of derivatives. So, you know, it's like it's it's a case of this is all an incestuous system. So once one part of it fails, it's going to spread through the system pretty quick. They, can, they won't be able to, to to stop the collapse once it finally goes. Well, we can only wait and see, but it, it's um, that there are major cracks in the system that that we can only hope to exploit to to try to wake people up to what's going on. Uh, I mean, that's that. That's you know, okay, a look, task, right? Yeah, yeah, and you know, having said like like you said, you know, God will collapse it when He's good and ready to. Is I guess would probably be the ultimate. You know, that's where it'll ultimately come from, but. And like you said in one show, I remember, God doesn't need your help to collapse Mystery Babylon. No, I mean, so that means, you know, Bill Fink and Don Fox don't have the ability to push the plunger and blow the system apart. So, you know, all we can really do is sit here and watch and analyze, you know, but when it, you know, like, like they've got an unlimited printing press of money. So, you know, now Trump is going to roll out a big infrastructure, uh, you know, infrastructure spending. Okay, so it'll be more debt, but, you know, you're, we're going to try to rebuild the infrastructure in the country. So that'll put some people to work. So maybe that stems the tide of this to a degree. You know, but how much, for how long, you know, are they kicking the can down the road? I mean, they've got a huge printing press, so 
they've got some ability to keep things floating. It's just a question of how long they can keep the parlor tricks going. Well, I mean, maybe that's the key to the to the Negroes because maybe they are the 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 planned obsolescence catalyst for infrastructure. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you, you, you've seen the memes. You, you've seen the memes that um, compare Hiroshima to Detroit, right? Hiroshima was yeah. exploded by nuclear bombs, supposedly, and and. Now it's all beautiful and sparkling and modern, and Detroit has Negroes, and and it's destroyed. So it, that it, proves it never, it can't come back. Yeah, yeah right. Well, well, now these Jews will make billions of dollars in 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 interest again by having us rebuild Detroit with infrastructure. That that's yeah. The Negroes' role in, in in planned obsolescence and further development of the country, I guess. I, I, I'm trying to make a pun, but it, yes. it's it, it's um, probably not going to happen. It, it's it's not going to happen. I, I, I don't have them that they've gotten. How much value can they squeeze out of this country? And once the last, uh, once the white people become a drastic minority, which is only 50, 75 years away, there's no more value to be had. America would be like Egypt. Well, okay, now, I guess I see, you know, the U.S. and Canada as ultimately being the final destination for the children of Israel. So, oh, I believe so, yes. Yeah, now... Now, but before that's going to happen, okay, Mystery Bob Babylon has to collapse, and we have to leave it. Absolutely. You know, and, and, it, and it may even be a case of white people finally just stop uh, participating in the system and leave it, and then that maybe that's the final straw. You know, it's hard, you know I don't know how this is all going to play out, but we we do know at some point the the economy is going to collapse, and then we're going to leave the system. And then once Mystery Babylon falls, because that is really what enslaves us, is this Babylonian system. Well, well the debt, right. We're all enslaved to the debt. We're enslaved. Whether you have any personal debt or not, you're still in a, a part, a cog in the wheel that's enslaved to the national debt, to the state debt, to your city's municipal debt. It, it, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're, you're, you've been sold seven ways from Sunday. Right. Well, anything that yep. we could say is speculation. I hope people take nothing of what I say on the, of, of the future. But whether I'm joking or I'm serious, it, it, it's not gospel because anything we say is speculation. But but it it's um, I, I think it's part of our obligation to continue to look for cracks in the system that we could exploit. The fake news. We 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 we've been trying to exploit fake news to raise people's awareness that they're being lied to by the media, and and. To, to hopefully discredit the media or widen the discredit of the media. So so that's one way that we've tried to um, take advantage of that phenomenon, right? Because it, it before before Donald Trump, no president or sitting high official in this country has ever said that the news is fake. Yeah, I mean, right there, he the first thing he did was he had all those guys over to Trump Tower and he told them all they were liars. 
Right. I mean, he got he got Jeff Zucker from CNN and all these other guys in a room. And well, of course he's right. They all are. I mean, most of them in there, you know, Wolf Blitzer and Jeff Zucker, they're all Jews. They're all liars. And they've always been liars. Yeah, and that's not going to stop, no matter who the president is. But if, if at least by calling them out, okay, that okay, we haven't seen that before. Do you think Hillary Clinton would call CNN fake news? Never. But but that to me that that was a plus because it brought the possibility of fake news. The possibility that the news could be fake into the awareness of the general public. Now, now we, you know, there's a lot of people like like you and like I and and our listeners and our friends and the people we work with that have known for decades that the news is fake. But the general public, that the idea has never been put before the general public like it is now. So, so. And some of them are starting to look at, it, well, yeah, it is fake, you know. Because there's, you know, the the weapons of mass destruction lie. You know, all these wars have been lies. I mean, every one of these, the first casualty of war is the truth. Remember, the you know, Maine was a lie. The Lusitania was a lie. Yeah. The Gulf of Tonkin yeah. was a lie. That they've all been lies. It, all of it, yeah. There's there hasn't been one of these Jewish wars that has been started on the truth. No. So it, so it's starting to sink in to the general population to a degree that they've been lied to. Before they always told us, hey, the guys in Russia, they're getting lied to, but we're, we're telling you the truth. You know, and, you know, that, okay, that, that, that load of bullshit now is, is over. So I, I think, you know, big picture, okay, so, you know, we've got people like Jeff Sessions and Greg Abbott. They're going after these sanctuary cities. They're, you know, now obviously not all the brown people are going to head for the exits all at once, you know. But we're at least starting to see some amount of political will to to remove some of these people. Okay, now it's not, they're not going to go around, you know, with, with vans and, and throw them all in there and, and take them back, you know. Or, you know, there's not, there's not a mass executions or anything like that. None of that's happening yet. But it's it's the start of a process. If they would enforce the eighty six laws, then then half of them would self deport. Yeah, and, I mean, and, and it, some we we are seeing some self deportations. It, it would be important that that um, it it would be a boon to us if half of them self deported. Not so much when they self deport, but when the next Democratic president starts letting them back in. That that's when I think more whites would become angry and and militantized. That that's what I would. Yeah, think. I mean, I mean that could be that could be one scenario. You know, I don't know. Maybe they start leaving and they don't come back. You know, we, you know, I, I couldn't tell you how it's all going to happen. I I just see this as the beginning, the beginning of the end. You know. Well, well, you if I what? had to make a prediction, I I would never make predictions, right? But Trump seems to be. A one-term president, Un- unless he does something really good, wh- which I doubt. A- and the next president, uh, I think, is going to be worse than Hillary and Obama. I really do. But well, if, if there's talk about removing Trump, you know, right now they're trying to figure out some way to get rid of him. Um, just, just the mere fact that he. He stated that the United States has a border and has a right to exist. Just that admission right there is enough to send the hardcore uh, 
uh, Jews over the edge. They they can't well, tolerate any of that sort of talk. Well, well right. The, the whole, all of the, um, all of the leftists are, are so much. You know, Trump is probably the the best president the Jews have had in a long time. Right. I, well, I he's. Mean, he he's he's doing so, the best job to prop up their system that, that could probably right. be done at this point. He is so pro-Israel. He's so pro-Israel. He is so much in favor of the, the, the banking system, the investment banks, the, the status quo internationalism. Well, okay. Now, just, you know, just we'll, we'll put on our, you know, we'll, theoretically, okay, say you were to walk into office tomorrow and – Basically, your options are either either try to prop up the Jewish system or collapse it. Now, if, there, if you collapse it, you know, no president, you know, most people don't want to sit over. They don't want to preside over a complete apocalypse. If I walked so, into office tomorrow, I'd order the Air Force to bomb all of our cities. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'd, I'd order them to bomb Tel Aviv. That would be my first thing. Okay. Yeah, right. What a, so what, that, we can only have wishful thinking, right? Yeah, here's retaliation for 9/11. You know, I'd instead of shooting cruise missiles at yeah. Assad, I'd shoot them at Netanyahu. But there's probably more know, Jews that, in New York and Los Angeles that, than in Tel Aviv. Yeah, more than likely, but so it would it would be a statement. You know, yeah, there are, there are more Jews in New York than there are in Israel. I think. I, I don't think that that that's why they pretty much have sewn up whoever gets into office, and and they. Yeah. I mean, I could imagine that they probably sat Trump down and just when Kissinger went to visit him as soon as he was elected. Yeah. He, he probably, the first thing he probably received was a list of threats and and what you don't do or, or we're going to off you. Like, like I'm sure that he received some strong messages so that they make sure that he toes the, the correct line. It, it's the same thing with Obama, with Clinton. Reagan got shot, right? I, I mean, Reagan got yep. shot, and after he got shot, he was a totally changed person. Well, he was basically a figurehead after that. It was Bush was actually running it. Is is basically what I've what I've gathered that George H. W. Bush became president that day in March of eighty one. So, well. That was that was the start of the Bush dynasty. It, it's um the the cracks in 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 the media and and the the cracks in the economy. Uh, I just pray we can exploit them and and bring more people to awakening. Uh, I mean that's that there are no political solutions. That this uh, all of these Trump that these people that rapidly supported Trump. That these alt-right people, that the faster they come to that realization, the better off we will be in the long run. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess I look at it from a perspective of, hey, I'll take what I can get from Trump. But, I mean, you got to know there's just only a certain amount you're ever going to get from from that, from from the political system. It's just, it's not our system. It's a beast system that we're supposed to come out of, but... At this point, we you know we can't do it until it falls apart. Well, well, right. If you examine Revelation chapter eighteen, the the call to come out of Babylon happens after Babylon falls because we are all in in to, to various degrees, but we are all dependent on and enslaved by the system. But we're not. We're in captivity. 
biblically, and, and we're not coming out of captivity until our God calls us out of captivity. Correct. Yeah, so it's like the ancient Israelites. They got sent into captivity um, in, in Egypt, you know. Well, Assyria, well, we are in yeah. captivity. We were sent into captivity in, in Assyria. That they're our yep. ancestors that were sent into Assyrian captivity um, twenty seven hundred years ago. Hey, yeah, it's like uh, <laughs> what was it? Well, maybe I was listening to another one of your shows, but it's like no, you're going into captivity. You're going right. You know? And and we're we, we were told. I mean, our ancestors were told, "Hey, you're going to be in captivity a long time, so you may as well just plant some trees and build yourself some houses and go along with the program, but because you're going to be there a while." Yeah, and I guess that's our message here is, you know, okay, I guess that was really the point of all this was like, okay, hey, your reality now is you're in captivity, okay. Whether you think it or not, you're basically in an open air prison right now, and but it's not going to be that way forever. And there's going to be some bumps in the road between here and there. I guess that's really what we can tell people. You know, I guess there's you're looking at probably an economic collapse, and then when the when the economy totally collapses, the EBT cards are going to get shut off. So then you're you're going to probably look at a race war. Uh, heating up, you know, black rioting. Um, there'll be some mayhem. Um, I mean, it's the apocalypse. You know, I mean, <laughs> well, well, so right. it, 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 I it's mean, coming. D Detroit had its retail apocalypse probably six or eight years ago when the last supermarket left. That there were, yeah, just, I, yeah I, there, I, there are no supermarkets in downtown Detroit. No, no they're gone. The, the, the Negroes shoplifted them all bare, and, and they couldn't keep their doors open. Well, which is another thing that's happening to all of these malls. That's why you're losing so much money. I, I mean, I noticed this in, in the 1980s in, in New Jersey. The, the Negroes would all wear these big puffy clothes and, and hit the mall in, in packs of 10 and 12, and, and, and they would just go through these stores and shoplift whatever they could. That they don't shop; they shoplift. Yeah, they, yeah, and I've I've seen that. You know, I had a part time job at a liquor store, and uh, you know, I I did see some of that going on. No question about it. Um, so there's, you know, eventually, mystery Babylon will collapse. But you know, we don't know what. I mean, if I had, I, I mean, really, from the looks of it, it you know, I would say it's got to be at least probably five years out. You know, I, I don't know. But ball, but I would say at least they, I'm sure they could probably keep the system afloat for another five, six years. Who knows? But you know the, you know, like you said, even the apostles were commanded to. You know, you're supposed to act like the kingdom of God is coming tomorrow, right? You know, so you you're commanded to you know be watchful. Seek ye the kingdom of heaven and all these things, the, the, the basic necessities of life, will be added to you. I, I mean, that's a strong message in the gospel, and, and yep. Christians are going to have to live that way. And, and that takes a, a sense of racial community and love for one another. Not not yeah. for the aliens, right? Because when you love the aliens, you you basically receive 
four times back or what what you gave them in punishment. And, and, the, and scripture, that's, the scripture says that too. Give not to the ungodly, that you'll be punished. Uh, I forget the exact number, four times, seven times, whatever it is. Yeah. When you give to the ungodly, you're punished seven times in return or four times in return. I, I'm sorry, I forget the number. That the um, It's in Ecclesiasticus and, and in chapter 12. And it, it's it, it's a theme throughout Scripture that when you give to the ungodly, that you're punished for it. Not necessarily that God is sitting in heaven and he's going to send lightning bolts down on your ass. That No, you're going to be punished for it out of the natural consequences of what you do. I, I've seen it a million times. When, when yeah. you show kindness to these other races, they take it as weakness and they purposely begin to take advantage of you. Yeah, it's it's feeding the palmer worm and the, the canker worm and the and the locust. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> you're just gonna get more you're just gonna get more palmer worms and canker worms and locusts. Right, you're gonna be devoured. Yeah, and that's what's happened. We're getting we're getting our substance eaten. You know, these people are here it's like a cloud covering the land. You know, they're devouring everything. I guess when everything gets devoured, that's probably when it all falls apart. You know, how long will that take? You know, there's that's probably your answer. So I guess you know, maybe a, a note to end on here, or as we getting close to the end of it, uh, I would say, okay, what attracted me to, to to Christian identity? Well, because like I told you, it you know early on, it th- this matches up with what I see. So I guess as I as I read Revelation and understand it. I'm seeing it happen all around me. Now, when it's all going to kind of come to a final fruition, you know, that I can't tell you. But I guess the good news is is that what you're reading in Revelation is the truth. And at some point, this will all be fulfilled, and we will enter our kingdom. Absolutely. And, and let me say that you cannot, you cannot understand the Revelation by itself. That there's a lot of end-time prophecies in Scripture, important ones in Daniel, in Ezekiel, and, and an important set of prophecies to understand in connection with Revelation chapter 20 is Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. And they are actually, that's one of those Hebrew parallelisms I told you about, where the same thing is described twice in a row, right? And And chapter 38 and 39 are not, um, consecutive to each other, they're concurrent. It's describing the same thing two different ways. And, and um, that that's just a, a feature of Hebrew literature, which is employed throughout the Bible. That the um, and, and it's very poorly understood. Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 are two separate visions of what must be the same events. Basically, Gog, and, as we interpret as describing the Jewish world banking system and, and system of international mm-hmm. commerce, right? Gog is basically the, the the Jewish gang that runs the world, right? Gog gathers the hordes of Central Asia, Asia, and Africa against the camp of the saints. That's described in Ezekiel 38 and 39, just like it's described in Revelation 20. And it's basically a different vision of the same thing. And Yahweh God wants those beasts here. He wants all those people here. And they are coming here for their own destruction so that he can demonstrate his power to his people. Ultimately, 
one method of their destruction, if you read chapter 39 of Ezekiel, I believe, is that they all turn on one another and help to destroy themselves. And only then did the people of God rise up, and it takes seven months or 210 prophetic years to clean up the mess. So when did that 210 – the 210 years may have already started. Um well, we would hope because everything is a process, right? No yep, prophecy, no prophecy of scripture happens overnight, right? No, Satan no. going into the pit. When Satan went into the pit is when the Romans accepting Christianity started to pass laws that excluded the Jews from society. And that was a process which took a couple of hundred years. Until the time of Charlemagne when the Jews were admitted to Europe, but only as property of the kings, and forced to live in ghettos. And, and they were actually the chattel property of the kings. They couldn't own any land. They couldn't own anything of their own. The kings could just take it. Well, well that lasted for a while. But the emancipation of the Jews also took almost 300 years. It started with the Reformation and the Jewish treachery, that there was Jewish treachery behind the Reformation, that they were actually helping to finance the Reformation so that they could gain an advantage with the Protestants. And Martin Luther woke up to that treachery, but he woke up to it way too late. It was way too late. He wrote the Jews and, and their lies, and he died like three years later. He was too old. It, it, he didn't wake up to Jewish treachery until um, 1543, right? When, when he had, for the first 30 years of his career, he was in bed with Jews, Martin Luther. Well, well that's when the Jews, that, that's when their emancipation, that's when the stage was starting to be set for it, and it took 300 years for them to acquire their emancipation. So it was a process. The Bible describes these things in processes. Like you said, God's time is not our time. The, the deportations of the children of Israel when they were deported from Palestine, and, and that, took, that, that process took 150 years. Nothing happened over, happens in a day. People today, we're so trained, our minds are so trained from the television, what we get information in short bursts of time, we want instant gratification, we want a definite time marker to denote when something happened or when something was fulfilled. That ain't the way it works. It, it could take a century or two for these for Babylon. Ba Babylon is supposed to fall rapidly, but you, you know it, the process itself could take a long time. It could take years. And, and yeah, the, the, yeah, the final workings of it could be r relatively quick, but right. to get to that point, it may take. Yeah, it could take know. decades or, or or a century, right? I, I mean. It's it's a process that has to unfold over time, like anything else. That the um, the process of of our enemies destroying one another. That these Negroes have been killing one another in the cities in in pretty large numbers. I mean, they're not wiping out entire neighborhoods yet, but it's going to get to that point. It, if the retail markets collapse and and the EBT cards ever stop. That these Negroes in Atlanta are going to consume one another in 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 a matter of months. That's oh, how they yeah. act. I, 
I think weeks. You know, I, I, I think the real danger points, yeah, Atlanta, Baltimore, Chicago. I mean, Detroit's already collapsed. Um, and, and there's other East St. Louis. You know, there, there's a lot of cities that are getting close to going right now. They turn on each other and devour each other very quickly, and and they don't have any any um, natural love for one another. They don't. That that they just see each other as competition at at the very primal level. Yeah, it's it's very. I mean, not that I'm a Darwin guy, but you can almost see it playing out, you know, in uh, in the African American community here. Yeah, so they are killing each other now. The, the Mexicans. I mean, I, I've heard that you know the 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 U.S. Mexico border. There's so there's so many murders down there, and, it, and none of this stuff is reported nationally. But it's basically it's almost fifty thousand a year down on the border, is what I've heard. It's almost like a Vietnam War every year on the U.S. Mexican border. Well, well, we need that to escalate, escalate, escalate. ten times. <laughs> well, well, think about it now. If you if you were actually to get a, a wall in there and you stopped the illegal immigration, um, and, and Mexico no longer had that safety valve because their their whole their whole country is built on sending their extra people here. So if that stops, you know, how long until Mexico collapses? You know, and I've heard China's in even worse shape than we are. Um, they've got big problems. Um, China's basically built, I, I think it's, you know, the estimate was about 20 cities, like the size of Houston, Texas, that are basically completely empty. They've built They're, those cities. Right. I have a video somewhere posted. It's probably about five or six years old that I, I, I saw and reposted uh, of those empty cities in China. And and they build those cities and nobody's lived in them. That, that's yeah, really, the, that, there's a lot the of real re- weirdness over, over there. Yeah, I've heard they they did that because they had to keep everybody working, so they just kept building stuff, and nobody nobody ever moved in. They've built all these apartment buildings and houses, and there's nobody lives lives there. And now the Chinese government doesn't come out and admit it, but there's people that track you know how much internet activity is going on and stuff like that, and I. You know, I think I saw 18 cities, I think was the last, you know, I could be wrong. I read that article a few months ago, and uh, somebody might be able to correct me on that. But suffice it to say, there's several cities in China that are built that basically no one lives in. Right. I I just figure it might be a refuge for the Jews someday. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it... it, That was what was suspected when they first discovered those cities. (laughs) Yeah, I, I know people like to, you know, it's to this on the United States, but other countries are in worse shape. I mean, look at Europe now. You know, I mean, France, Germany, I mean, completely flooded. England, well, well, China. totally flooded. Well, we could talk about China a minute. Yeah, you know, a lot of Americans think, well, China, that, that they're getting really rich and this and that, and they're, that they're going to be a bigger America than America. No, no, they're never going to be. They are never going to be. I, I remember reading in... um. The Wall Street Journal, in, in the late O's, maybe 06, 07, 08, around there, about these factories in China that were being built to employ 5,000, 6,000, 8,000 
Chinese people, and they had dormitories attached to them. And the workers slept in the dormitories. And they had a food court and a little strip mall, and, and they went to spend their money in the food court and the strip mall, sleep in a dormitory and work in a factory. They were like prison factories. And they were building these all over China in the 1990s and the early 2000s. Prison factories. that They're not, that they don't have our standards. They live like cockroaches. They live and they work like cockroaches. They don't build towns full of subdivisions for, for um, people to have nice little pink houses and, and, and a garden and stuff like that and commute into work. That They don't live like that. They, they build these that these fact these prison factories and and people sleep in dormitories. How can yet yeah, that that's not a way to sustain a society. That's only a way to keep people enslaved to world jewelry so that they could make stuff Americans and Europeans like real cheap and and bring it over here and sell it. It it's it's a whole different concept, China. Yeah, they have a, a, an, a, a, an upper class that inhabits some of their cities. But look at Beijing. They had to ban automobiles for two weeks before the Olympics so that the air would clear up a little bit. It's a hellhole. Yeah, I mean, and if, if China was so great, I mean, look at how many Chinese people are are trying to get out of there. I mean, they're filling up Australia. They're, they're even going to colonize Africa now, part of it. That's another part of the, um, the, the the flood of the serpent being brought against the camp of the saints. There's no doubt that there's, from what I hear, Vancouver is Hongcouver or something like that. It, it's wow. I've I've been to Vancouver and yeah, rest assured, I saw plenty of Asian people at the uh, at the airport. Yeah, but but I spent considerable time passing through Chinatown in New York in the in, in the 70s and 80s working and stuff like that and mm-hmm. and. They live like cockroaches there too. They're like roaches. If you if you could sweep the tops of the building with your feet, you'd look down in each building and see like swarms of chinks all on top of one another. That's how they live. They don't live like we do. No, no. I mean they they're they're not the low IQ, you know, like the African is, but they're all they're not, different. They're, much they're a different. They're a different breed than we are, yeah. Absolutely. They live like insects. 22 in an apartment. Uh, I've seen it way too much. I, I mean, I've seen Chinese restaurants where they never leave the building at night. They just close the store and, and go in the back and sleep in, in the kitchen. It, it, I've seen that. So it, it's that they're, um, that's when I stopped eating Chinese food. Yeah, I was never big on it in the first place. You know, I, I know everybody likes to go to the. Or a lot of my buddies used to like to go to the Chinese buffet, but I would, uh, I would steer clear of it for the most part. <clears throat> well, uh, I mean, we could call. Well, we could carry this conversation on forever. Not, yeah, but, we could. But, yeah, but the, the I, Chinese, I think, to me. And, and and the biblical message in, in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is this, that these Mexicans and these Negroes and these Chinamen, that they're here to die. They're, they're ultimately going to die here. 
And our race, our white European race, is being punished, and we don't know it yet. There has to come a point, it has to come to a point where our people understand that they are being punished, and understand how evil these Jews are, and understand that these other races are being used against us by these evil Jews. We have to come to that understanding, or, or there's no recovery. Well, I think we're getting closer to that. Um, people are now saying, hey, globalism's bad. Well, who's behind globalism? It's just they need to just take that leap, and then I think we're, we're going to be pretty close to that. They haven't quite figured out. They Right now they think it's just corporations that are behind the globalism. Uh, but who owns the corporations? Right. Who owns the who creates the money supply? All they have to do is look at the officers of the corporations and who they are. Yeah, and, and even if you see like a board of directors that is not all Jewish, um, all you have to really understand is if this is a publicly traded company, you know, the Federal Reserve is among the top 10 shareholders of all the major uh, Fortune 500 corporations in the United States. Who owns the Federal Reserve? Yeah, well, who runs it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, see, all corporations are Jewish. Okay. Well, thanks for being here. It, it was an interesting conversation. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, you know, I guess the, the final point would be that hey, we're 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 on the road, but you know, you know what the mile marker is. You know, I I couldn't tell you, but you can certainly see that what's written in the Bible is certainly coming to pass around you. Well, well, we'll come back towards the end of the year, maybe near Trump's first year, and, and, and we'll take a look at what's happened there and, and another look at where the media is and where the retail is and where, where well, manufacturing isn't. There isn't any. It's, and, and where the Mexicans are. And, and it, it might be fun to, to do one of these programs at, every once in a while ju just to... Um, see where it's going and, and see what benefit we could put it to and what we could get out of it. Because we have to learn to exploit these things. We have to learn to exploit what's going on in, in order to help bring people to the truth. I, I mean, that that's... Uh, I think that's one place that Christian identity could, could really improve. Yeah, I think that you're... I think you're right. That's uh, probably our homework assignment is, you know, get on... You know, when, when these news stories get posted... You know the, the the websites that still accept comments. You have to jump in there and and you know drop a truth bomb or two here and there. All the time, I do it all the time. When, when, yeah. Whenever I see an article on on a mainstream website where I could post, and and I always try to do it as my Google account, which is Christagenia, so that that'll like raise their interest, or or under my real name, and and I try to put links to Christagenia, and and I drop. A, a a very cynical truth bomb, like you called it, right? <laughs> and and try to make people think, and and try to rile them up and incite them. It, it's, I mean, we, yeah, yeah, we don't have to lie or slander anybody. All you have to do is just point out the truth. Right. Well, well, today, this morning, I think it was this morning, or, or maybe it was yesterday. Well, I think it was this morning. I, I somebody sent me an article about this woman who looked white she really wasn't white but most people would think she's white so i want to use that to my advantage 
uh, about this white girl that her father won't talk to her anymore because she took her black friend to the prom. To the prom. She, she took her black friend as a prom date. And and I just posted, that's a good father. He should have kicked the little, the little piggy to the curb under the Christagenia Google Plus account. And... and <laughs> That, that's all I posted, and, and it, it's a slap in the face to all the people that were feeling sorry for this girl because her father disowned her. Hoping that p- people see that and say, well, this guy, that, that's kind of mean, but maybe I'll go check what, what else he has to say, right? It, it's um, People should do that. All of our listeners should be posting links in mainstream media to articles that, that expose the, the Jews in the system for what it is. Yeah, it's all you have to do is point out, you know, when you see a problem, it's not that hard to figure out who's behind it. Just point that out. That's all you have to do. Absolutely. I mean, I mean when you when you want to get to the bottom of nine eleven, you just look at Silverstein, Rockefeller, right, Kissinger. I wonder, I wonder what tribe you know. they belong to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, Don. Thanks for being here, and and it's been interesting. And we'll do it again in about four to six months, eight months. We'll we'll do it again. Sure. Thanks for having me, Bill. And um, I look forward to uh, uh, catching up with you uh, down the road here. Absolutely. Praise Christ. I'll um I'll have some sort of report from New Orleans soon on Christagenia, but it it hasn't happened yet. It's tomorrow. What well, we're here and. We're going to town tomorrow to to join the people from the League of the South and the Battle of New Orleans program and, and those people in their defense of the New Orleans monuments. It might be fun. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Donald Fox. Praise Yahweh, God of Israel, and good night. Mm-hmm.